This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 105.9. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Tuesday afternoon, January 10th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. Beer sales have long been viewed as inflation-proof. We'll find out if that's still the case in our next segment. But right now, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell is talking about policy and its relationship to politics. We're joined by Bob Bruska, Chief Economist, Facted Opinion Economics, based in New York. Bob, thanks for joining us today. Fed Chair Jerome Powell is in Switzerland, or I should say he's talking to Sweden's Risks Bank, and he said that uh, the Federal Reserve Chairman, the job of the Fed Chair is to remain politically independent and not give in to political pressure. But is he, get, is he buckling under political pressure right now from leaders in Washington? It sounds like he's not. Well, this is a long and sort of tortured story um, because uh, and as inflation began to rise in 2021, the Federal Reserve sat on its hands for 12 months and watched the inflation rate climb until the CPI was over 8%. So the Fed let inflation rise by quite a while, quite a ways, without doing one single thing. And during that same period, you know, Jerome Powell was waiting to get reappointed. And the progressives in Congress had told the Fed they did not want the Fed to be preemptive. So a lot of people think that Jerome Powell was under that political influence last year, and it's one of the reasons inflation is so bad, because Powell, wanting to be reappointed, did not raise rates as soon as he should have. It's unprecedented. People look at these 75 basis point rate hikes that the Fed did, all of them, in, in kind of shock. But that's not the shocking thing. The more shocking thing was that the Fed let inflation rise for 12 months and to get as high as it did without moving the federal funds rate up by one single basis point. And that was the price of him getting reappointed, and that was politics. So I think that politics have been haunting the Fed for quite some time, and I think that he's trying to uh, make it clear that the Fed doesn't want to be politically manipulated, although it's a little bit too late. You know, the, the horse is out of the barn, so it's a little late to lock the door. And even then, uh, waiting so long to raise interest rates in 2021 and through portions of 2022 under the belief that uh, inflation was merely transitory only complicated things politically for President Biden and the White House, who had to go into the midterm election season with the highest uh, uh, rate of inflation since the early 1980s. Yes, yes, he did. Um, so this this was a problem, and it's not clear how much... Uh, you know, his administration might have paid for that, nor is it clear what would have happened if the Fed had been raising rates earlier and maybe the economy hadn't been quite as strong. Because remember, because the Fed didn't raise rates, it meant that the, the, the real Fed funds rate became negative. So every time that inflation stepped up, that was actually very stimulative because it made interest rates very, lower after, very low after inflation. In fact, in this cycle, 
looking back to 1960, we have had 13 of the 13 most negative real Fed funds rates we've had in the history of monetary policy in this country. So that was very stimulative policy. If you wonder why the economy is doing so well now, it's because we had all of those very deeply negative real Fed funds rates until the Fed started trying to reverse that policy. And then very quickly, I mean, if you put this in perspective, where it's been the last 20 years or so have been kind of uh, uh, abnormally low interest rates a lot of people have been dealing with, and that uh, this with talking about how uh, there have been some uh, punishing interest rate hikes. We're not even where we were in the 90s. Well, exactly. You know, I, I tell people uh, who look at me kind of strangely that my, my first home mortgage rate was 13%, and people can't even begin to understand that. But that's the way things used to be. Bob Bruska, Chief Economist, Fact and Opinion Economics, based in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up, exploring the impact of inflation on beer prices. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Beer prices are on the rise, and there's concern about the impact of storms in California on wine. Let's check in with Carly Katz, the owner of Bottles and Cans, with locations in Chicago's North Center and Edgebrook neighborhoods. Carly, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Bob. Well, what is the, 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 the baseline price for beer? Are we talking about for a, a standard case of uh, your, your uh, Miller Lite or uh, a, a basic beer, or are we talking about the price of craft beers? Where are we seeing the increase? So the increase is happening in every single tier from importers, distributors, breweries to us. Um, on all lines, we are all essentially having to create a price increase um, for different reasons, kind of a lot of us, but it starts at the very beginning as people are purchasing their aluminum. That has gone up significantly in price. The beer that sat with no one drinking it during the pandemic, everyone's trying to recoup those costs. It's kind of everywhere. Um, the bigger guys are are able to absorb a little bit more of that shockwave than some of the little guys are. Um, but everyone everyone is having to do it. Yeah, as far as the breweries are concerned, I would imagine there were a lot of uh, kegs that were filled in early 2020 that went uh, untapped as uh, sporting events and restaurants and other mm-hmm. uh, mass gatherings shut down. Yeah. I mean, beer, like anything else, has a shelf life. And the government has, you know, an issue conversation where you have to put a date on there to allow the consumer to know it's it's best on date. Um, and as things sat for a year, two years, then you can't drink it. It ends up going back. Everyone kind of has to just keep recouping each thing that comes back. Uh, no one liked to do it, but everyone had to make those decisions for whatever tier they're in. Um, distributors, the breweries, retailers like us, um, everyone had to make their own choices to do those things, but we were all kind of in it together. And how is the consumer responding to this uh, this jump in prices? Are they grinning and bearing it because they like what they like? Or are they adjusting their tastes from the uh, uh, curl your hair locally produced IPA to something a little more affordable? Um, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, it, it, I think the, the same people that that get worked up in in most situations are probably still the same people who are getting upset about this situation. Um, we are finding a tremendous amount of kindness as people start realizing, especially some of us smaller guys, 
um, making the choice to also like pay our employees a little bit more than than is required, um, making sure that everyone there is comfortable putting money back into our businesses. But the the same people that are complaining and arguing are the same people that would regardless. So we're we're hoping that doesn't continue on. Um, just kind of a rule of thumb, we ask that everyone be kind and understand that we are all doing our best. It's there's no intention to like hurt anybody else. It's just us trying to to stay. We we want to be in business. We want to be able to employ our people, um, but decisions had to be made and hopefully that goes back down and we all can get through this and and come out on the other side just being better. And then very quickly, Carly, on the subject of crises, uh, we do have a deluge in uh, California, uh, almost a year's worth of rain in one week. How is that going to uh, impact wine production? Um, so a lot of that, it's, it's funny, even though California is not that far from us, we don't typically start seeing that issue until another like six months, even a year out. That's when we'll start seeing that kind of supply issue. Luckily, if you're a good distributor, they'll kind of give us a heads up on who's going to be able to keep bringing in product, who's going to have, who was affected the most. So maybe the idea is we bring in a few more cases than we normally would to try to, you know, no pun intended, weather the storm um, and keep things in in stock. Um, but again, it's hopefully these guys are able to pivot quickly and and keep going with what they're doing so that it doesn't affect them so much. Um, but we'll likely start seeing that sometime probably at the end of summer. We'll see a little bit more of that impact. Carly Katz, owner of Bottles and Cans, locations in Chicago's North Center and Edgebrook neighborhoods. Be nice to Carly. Uh, They're (laughs) dealing with the same stuff that the rest of us are. Coming up next, CVS looks to expand its health care business. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 
Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. CVS is exploring an acquisition of Chicago-based Oak Street Health, which runs primary care centers for recipients of Medicare. Let's discuss the potential deal with Bruce Japson, Chicago-based health care writer for Forbes. Bruce, thanks for joining us today. And it sounds like the vertical integration of health care at CVS continues. Yeah, definitely. A lot of people would know CVS. I think CVS was probably first to get into the whole primary care space about of their eight to 9,000 uh, pharmacies, about 1,100 of them already have uh, nurse practitioners. Um, so you can go in, you can get a physical, you can get, you know, this and that. And then in the pandemic, we found that the, um, the pharmacy was the place to go uh, for your COVID tests and people going here and there for various treatments. So now you have CVS. Uh, there are reports out talking to Oak Street Health, which is a company based in Chicago that runs essentially doctor-staffed clinics uh, for Medicare patients in Chicago and across the country, and CVS talking to them, which would make sense because CVS, the CEO, has already said, hey, we want to get bigger into the primary care space. We want to have closer relationships with not only nurse practitioners but physicians. And then you have Walgreens that last year in the last two years has invested over $8 billion uh, into Village MD, which is another company based in Chicago that is rolling out doctor-staffed clinics and attaching them them to Walgreens uh, across the country. They don't have any here yet, but they do have them in certain markets across the country. When it comes to primary care clinics and the efforts by CVS and Walgreens to move into that space, how do they stack up compared to uh, major healthcare and hospital systems? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think, you know, that would be a big competitor. I think what they're looking for with this, I mean, certainly I don't see initially a day where your primary care physician is at a Walgreens or at a CVS. Maybe over the course of time, if they have uh, insurance networks, I mean, certainly if you if the, if the Walgreens doctor staff clinic or the CVS Oak Street Health clinic is in your insurance network, you know, you'd go there and maybe you would develop a relationship with a physician there. But I think this is more of a, a, a they want to be a convenient location for people to go to for healthcare. I mean, in, in the pandemic, you know, in the early days of the pandemic, your doctor's office wasn't even open. Um, but Walgreens was, a CVS was, and so their hours would be later and so forth. So I think this is a, a a way that CVS and Walgreens are continuing to say, hey, listen, we, we want to be a healthcare destination and we want to add more services. And since it's worked in doing more and more things, diagnostic tests, uh, physicals by nurse practitioners, they figure we need we will put doctors uh, in our stores with, with attached clinics or however they work it. And it's another way to uh, increase primary care services to our customers. Bruce Japson, Chicago-based healthcare writer for Forbes. Thanks for joining us this afternoon to talk about this potential $10 billion acquisition by CVS Health of Oak Street Health. This deal is not done. And uh, so the, the according to Bloomberg, the uh, talks are still ongoing and they could end without an agreement. But uh, it looks like uh, they're on final approach. <laughs> This is Chicago's news, traffic, and weather station, News Radio 1059.
The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Lawmakers react to the discovery of classified documents found in an office with ties to President Biden. Metro riders now have a new way to track the location of their train. It's Travel Tuesday. Airfares are expensive these days, but there are some ways to find yourself a great deal. And companies are due to start reporting fourth quarter earnings this week. We'll preview earnings season. WBBM Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 67 points. The NASDAQ is up 52. The S&P 500 is up 11. AccuWeather says... A good deal of sunshine today. It's mild for early January, a high today of 46. We have 45 degrees right now under mostly sunny skies at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, the Justice Department is reviewing documents marked as classified, found at President Biden's office at a Washington, D.C.-based think tank. The papers found at the Penn-Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement date back to when he was vice president. CBS News correspondent Rebecca Kaplan has more on how the news is being received. Congressional reaction to the discovered documents split on party lines. Representatives James Comer of Kentucky and Jim Jordan of Ohio, who will lead the House Oversight and Judiciary Committees, suggested there is a double standard in the way the National Archives handled this discovery compared to the search that was executed at former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate in August. But Maryland Congressman Jamie Raskin, who will be the top Democrat on the House Oversight Committee, said President Biden's attorneys took the proper steps when they quickly disclosed what they had found so the documents could be returned to the federal government's custody. The documents are being reviewed by Chicago-based U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, John Lausch. Metra has debuted a train tracking website for its passengers. Metra says it spent nearly $27 million to outfit more than 1,000 rail cars and more than 230 stations with new GPS tracking devices. Those are now linked to a new website, metratracker.com. It lets commuters know where their train is and what time the train will reach its destination. Besides providing GPS info on trains, The new website allows riders to check for train departure times from the station they select. It also includes a trip planner feature. Bernie Tafoya, 105.9 WBBM. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are higher. We're joined by Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Macrotides.com based in San Diego. Jim, thanks for joining us this afternoon. This seems like a week in which investors are treading water, at least until the CPI print on Thursday and when the banks begin to report their uh, fourth quarter earnings statements. Well, you're absolutely right, uh, Rob, and I want to wish you, since this is the first time we're talking in uh, 2023, wish you and all the listeners a happy and healthy uh, new year. Uh, basically, the market's been trading sideways almost since mid-December, Rob. Uh, you know, a lot of indecision. And yes, there's high anticipation for the CPI report on Thursday. In all likelihood, it will have a six handle. In other words, it'll drop from 7.1% down towards uh, six, 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 seven, or whatever the number turns out to be. I will point out the really good, surprising number that came out for November on December 13th or 14th is when the S&P hit its high at 4101. So not only do we want to see the news in terms of how much does the CPI come down, but how the markets respond to it and, and whether or not they can get legs 
and that the S&P can get above 39.50, which was the interday high at yesterday's morning's uh, spike. And then when the banks start to report, when we get the when earnings season really gets underway, what are we looking for in terms of clues that, uh, I mean, we know the economy is slowing down uh, a little bit, but uh, what, what kind of clues are we looking for if you're, uh, if you're of the mind that we're going to see a recession in 23? Well, banks have already increased lending standards. They did that significantly in the third quarter, and I'm sure when the fourth quarter data comes out in about three weeks, we'll see more of that. I think, you know, banks setting aside more for losses, defaults on various loans and so forth will be one uh, clue in terms of how they view the economy over the next six months. So that would be one thing I would focus on. And then uh, I, uh, as far as inflation is concerned, uh, it seems that the consensus is that it has turned a corner. And what are we looking for in, in 2023? Are we looking for a consistent decline? Um, are, 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 will investors have the same, look at this, the same glasses as the Fed? They want to see that 2% target. Uh, how are they going to uh, interpret the CPI numbers, not only this month, but going forward? Yeah, I, I think, Rob, the key point here uh, in uh, uh, Powell's Brookings speech on November 30th, I think he delivered a pivot away from inflation to the labor market being the key for monetary policy in 2023. Inflation is going to continue to come down. But as Powell has talked about, uh, the labor market remains very tight. Wage growth is easing, but it's still really high relative to a 2% inflation target. So to me, Wall Street is still not listening to what the Fed is saying. I think they're overly focused on inflation when the key is going to be the labor market. So that is going to take months for the labor market to show some of the slack that the Fed wants to see. In that speech, he said job growth of less than 100,000 at a minimum is what we're going to have to have for the, you know, as evidence that the labor market is uh, easing. So it'll be a combination of the unemployment rate ticking higher and much slower job growth than what we've seen. Things can change on a dime, of course, but this is a very strange employment situation where you see weakness, if you can call it that, in white-collar professions, where you see a lot of managers being laid off in these big mass layoff announcements, and that on the blue-collar side of the ledger, you still have, as an employer or as an employee, you still have a great deal of bargaining power. That's absolutely true. That's one of the things the Fed is focused on. A lot of those white-collar jobs, Rob, that are being lost, those folks are getting rehired fairly quickly because of the technical skills and so forth. So, again, the, the Fed has told us, Powell has told us, the labor market is the key. And I think as they penciled in at their December meeting, the unemployment rate, in their view, will rise from the 3.5% of last month toward 4.6%. So again, Wall Street continues to respond, I think, too much to good inflation news when the reality is the labor market is going to be the key in terms of when the Fed stops raising rates. And more importantly, another point Wall Street has not really accepted yet, holding the funds rate all high throughout this year, 2023. And I think that's going to be the shoe that drops at some point in time between now and mid-year. 
Jim Welsh, macro strategist, portfolio manager at macrotides.com, based in San Diego. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Travel Tuesday, how to find cheap flights in 2023. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday, and as we kick off a new year, we're looking at ways to get the best possible deal on airfares. Let's tap the expertise of Joe Brancatelli, editor and publisher of JoeSentMe.com, based in New York. Joe, before we talk about the uh, formulas and the methodology of finding the uh, best deal on airfare, is it safe to say that in 2023, uh, airfares will still be elevated compared to previous years just because America is still working out its wanderlust? At the moment, that seems to be true, but these things can change fairly quickly. A uh, perfect example is just today, Southwest put on a fair sale starting at $49. Now, that's not actually a reaction to their meltdown over the holidays. They're generally putting out fair sales at that price. So the airlines are looking very carefully. They're truly worried about whether we'll hit a soft landing or a recession. So it's worth keeping your eyes open. But at the moment, we have not seen any gigantic fair breaks. And then very, is, is it possible that uh, Southwest is going to respond to the uh, buckets of bad PR uh, with a fair sale above and beyond the standard $49 uh, uh, deal that they usually offer? That is possible, but what they've done is uh, put 25,000 bonus points in the account of everybody who had a canceled flight over the holidays. So that addresses the uh, immediate concerns. You know, anybody who was screwed up got their refund or will be getting their refund uh, compensation for whatever rational cost they run up and this 25,000-point bonus. The point no one really knows, including Southwest Management, is how reluctant people will be to fly um, the airline going forward. And also, how is that going to affect uh, uh, travel demand with so many passengers who are not only flush with uh, rapid rewards points, but also travel vouchers? Well, that might that might mean you got going to be a little chaos and, and uh, complications when you're flying from Midway. Uh, but generally speaking, I think the Southwest system can handle it, assuming they fly their flights. So, uh, you know, that always becomes the issue. If your low fare provider is currently diverted by other things, there might not be the big discounts from United or American either. Well, as as someone who's uh, very proactive, uh, I put in all of my vacation requests for uh, 2023. I know where I'm going uh, later this year, a big family uh, adventures. And one of them involves a flight, and that's in July. And when is the best time, if you're flying either domestically or internationally, when do you know when you book the trip, you're probably getting the best price for it? Well, there's, there's no one perfect time to book a ticket. I think that's a fallacy. It, it disregards everything we know about how airlines price. But we do know when the airlines offer the best deals. If you travel on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, you are generally going to get the cheapest seats. And that's because business travelers travel less on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. They tend to travel Mondays and Fridays. Leisure travelers like to travel on the weekend so they can maximize maybe a week holiday. So first you look at Tuesday and Wednesday travel, you might save substantial amounts of money than traveling on a Monday or a Thursday or or a weekend. And then out of Chicago, what are some of the markets where uh, you see the, uh, the, the greatest price competition between airlines where you can get the best deal? Well, keeping in mind that 
the earlier you book, generally speaking, the better off you'll be. Um, Chicago has the advantage of a com- competitive hub between United and American. A lot of cities with hubs, look at Detroit, look at Minneapolis, are prisoners of one airline. Chicagoland, thankfully, has three airlines they can play off against each other, United and American at O'Hare and then Midway at Chicago. That really does help keep the prices down, although I know you're, everybody thinks they're paying too much. And then as far as capacity is concerned, I mean, we're, we're still uh, there are still fewer airplanes in the sky compared to 2019, and there are fewer airline employees in which to serve them. So if if you want to play the waiting game, is there do you run the risk of, of your of, of seats filling up? Well, I, we're about 10 percent down on capacity compared to 2019. I think the um, the staffing issues have solved themselves as the airlines continue to hire. But the thing to keep in mind about pricing is how the airlines think about pricing. And the further out you book, the earlier you book, the lower price you'll get. Uh, for example, domestically, look 30 days out. Internationally, look 90 days out. And the closer you get to those travel periods, you know, let's say internationally, if you want to go from Chicago to Rome, say um, 60 day, 90 days will be your best price, then maybe 60 days, then 45 days. And that all has to do with the, the advanced purchase rules the airlines use specifically so they can raise prices. So if you, in your case, you've got all your plans locked in, locking in the tickets now are probably, is probably a good idea. Joe Brancatelli, editor and publisher of JoeSentMe.com, based in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. And still to come, a look at earnings season, which kicks into gear this week. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Earnings season kicks into high gear this week, and on Friday alone, we'll get results from a host of banks, plus United Health Group and Delta Airlines. Joining us now at the preview is Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. It seems like, uh, based on uh, market activity so far today, it's like that period before a marathon where everyone's just walking around, some people are stretching, conserving their energy because a lot of market movers are going to hit on Thursday and Friday. We have CPI on Thursday, the banks report Friday. And uh, what type of market movement are we talking about here? What can they do? Well, you're right in the sense that there are a lot of is kind of kind of waiting and seeing what's going to happen because there are significant market moving potentially market moving events coming this week. You mentioned the CPI and you mentioned earnings. You know, it'll be interesting to see how stocks respond during this earnings season. Uh, you had a significant uh, downgrade in earnings estimates from the third to the fourth quarter, and right now they're looking for in the fourth quarter, maybe in the S&P 500, uh, a minus four percent growth, which would be obviously a decline in one of the first ones in several quarters. So, you know, you could look at that and say, boy, there's already been a lot of uh, pessimism built into those earnings estimate declines, and which lowers the bar for companies to be able to beat them. But I think the bigger issue isn't necessarily going to be the earnings that are reported, which will be watched, but it's more to the guidance that companies are going to give for the first quarter of 2023. And, and for some companies, they'll give guidance for the entire year. That's what the market is going to be keying on. 
The banks are already preparing for a downturn in 2023. They've been squirreling money away to cover uh, defaults. They're already dealing with uh, a, a drop-off in merger and acquisition activity because of higher interest rates, and they're preparing to pay out higher interest rates to borrowers. So the the bank reports and their guidance um, yes, they're big names, and yes, they have a great deal of uh, insight and brain power. But do they tell the whole story? Well, they tell they tell a story in terms of uh, the economy and, and trying to give you a picture of just how uh, much the economy has slowed and potentially will slow. You know, we'll be watching, for example, you know, loan demand coming from the banks. You're right; the the, the banks with big capital markets are probably going to be impacted by kind of the the stagnation of the capital markets and in 2022, but those with big trading operations actually might get an interesting bump in the fourth quarter. And then again, going into 2023, you know, is is their loan demand going to be holding up? On the, on the other side, you know, their their net interest margin, which is another thing people will be watching, should be okay because of the rise in interest rates. But is that going to be pressured if, in fact, rates start to head lower? How is that going to affect that that kind of profit center for banks. And a quick check on the Dow theory as we head into the uh, first full business week of 2023? Dow theory primary trend is still bearish, but the market is kind of in in an inflection point. If, in fact, both the Dow Industrials and Dow Transports went above their late November uh, intermediate highs, that would be a change in the trend from bearish to bullish. And we are actually closer to those uh, November 30 highs than we are the the late September lows. So, you know, we haven't made a significant change in terms of our our allocations yet, but we're watching those November 30 levels for the industrials and transports. And if, in fact, they can close above those levels, both of the the Dow indices, that would be a significant move under the Dow theory and a change to, to a bullish trend. Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter. Thanks for joining us today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.